Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio with the California Technology Council, where we bring you perspectives directly from startup founders and investors in every episode. Now we turn to our host in our Northern California headquarters, Matt Gardner, founder of the California Technology Council. On this episode of Inside the Founder Studio, we get a chance to sit down with Chris Finan of Manifold Technology. We talk with Chris about running Manifold through an accelerator, as well as kicking off CalCISO, a new initiative of CTC. First, here's a quick word from our sponsors at Office Depot. Leading a startup team? Hi, this is Janet McTaggart with Office Depot. Whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or setting up a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture. From getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo, Office Depot can help. Learn about how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all these startup essentials and more at californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. Thank you, Janet. And for all the latest that CTC is up to, be sure to check out californiatechnology.org. As we turn back to Chris Finan of Manifold Technology, we go through a conversation with Chris about everything from fintech accelerators to the power and potential of blockchain to the talent shortage in cybersecurity, as well as looking back on Chris's experience in the White House working on critical infrastructure. Here's Chris Finan of Manifold. On this episode of Inside the Founder Studio, we're visiting with Chris Finan co-founder and CEO of Manifold Security. Chris, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Matt. Chris, tell us about Manifold and, and what about the company makes it a unique story. Well, Matt, you know, it's, it's I think, interesting because um, it, it's really taught me, it's really, it's really helped me think about security in a new way. And, you know, a lot of that has been, you know, my own transition from, the government uh, into the private sector and and also you know into Silicon Valley, uh, and so um, it, it's really encouraged me and, and helped me think about security as a means uh, and not just as an end in and of itself. And I think you know when you're doing security well, it sort of underpins a lot of what you do as a core enabler, um, but it's not you know the end all be all. Uh, it should enhance business. It should enhance operations. Uh, it shouldn't simply be a cost center. And so, you know, one of the exciting things, uh, we've actually, ironically, because of this epiphany uh, and just, you know, this becoming really our modus operandi, we've changed our name from Manifold Security to Manifold Technology. Because, yes, um, although we're building, you know, new encryption protocols, um, you know, new security technology, we consider ourselves a technology company. We actually consider ourselves a fintech company. We just happen to be using security technology uh, as this enabler. And um, I, think it's, I think it's a good metaphor for how we should think about security in our daily lives, in the way that we, we integrate it with our company and our company business, uh, and then also the way the government uh, thinks about security. So, so that's sort of been my journey so far, and uh, we're excited to see where we can go from here with, uh, with Manifold. So the company's a couple of years old, but you're also just coming out of an accelerator. Uh, can you share that experience a little bit and, and what it taught you as you're refining the, the focus of the company? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we are um, building, you know, security technologies uh, for large financial institutions. Uh, it's actually a, a blockchain uh, platform that we've built. Um, it happens to be a really efficient means of synchronizing data uh, across legacy systems. You know, a lot of um, financial institutions uh, are anchored by uh, technology infrastructure that was designed and built in the 1980s, often in COBOL, and you know these institutions, uh, because of that, are, are just really hindered uh, in terms of the, the way that, that they can adapt to 21st century consumer demands. Um, and so what we do is we, we provide them with um, you know a new technology layer um, that's compatible and complementary to those legacy systems, but really helps um, and gives them this means to adapt um, and provide new uh, next generation services and offerings. And, and because you kind of get security for free in this platform, it really opens the door uh, to a lot of innovation. Again, uh, security really as a, an enabler uh, and not just uh, as an end in and of itself. Uh, let me ask you a follow-up, Chris, about the acceleration experience, too. The, you went through a fintech accelerator, and obviously there's a, a kind of a land rush there in terms of venture investment and, uh, and emerging technologies. What was that like to be with a peer group of companies that may all have different angles on fintech, but that are in at least close enough space that you can learn from one another? Yeah, no, I, I think there's, there's always a, you know, you can always learn a lot from a cohort, and I think that just speaks to the importance of, of network effect, which is, uh, you know, just is, is so valuable here in California and in the Valley. Um, and, you know, that's really one of the things that we got from the, the PNP Accelerator program um, was just great mentoring and an exposure to um, just diverse uh, thinking and, and other, other technology innovations. Uh, and so we definitely were able to, to learn uh, from our peers, uh, I think overall it was a, a really valuable experience, not, not only in terms of learning what other uh, technologies are out there, but also in better understanding prospective um, clients and customers um, by listening to how our, the other people in our cohort uh, ask and describe, um, you know, their, their pain points. So um, ultimately, you know, if you're trying to, to build a great product, you really have to know those pain points. And... Um, I think you can always uh, you can always tap into the the wisdom of these cohorts to to gain additional insight, and so that for us was probably the most beneficial uh, aspect of it. What advice, Chris, would you give to other entrepreneurs looking at accelerators? And the reason I ask is that I think uh, there's uh, a perception by many that they're going into an accelerator to be better prepared for funding or to be more fundable, if you will. But you're talking about lots of other benefits that you got from this kind of program. What what should entrepreneurs be looking for in the kind of accelerator that would be a good fit for them and what they might uh, want to use as their own filters for things to get out of a program? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think mentoring um, is just something, it's a term that's thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot, but, um, you know, it, a great mentor um, in one of these programs can make all of the difference because they can really help you understand um, the, the potential problems that your product can solve. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's just logical, but I, I think it's often understated. And, you know, if you get that, uh, 
product market fit right, if you can articulate those pain points, if you can describe um, your customer in detail, um, you're going to be successful and you're going to get funded. And so to me, you know, everything stems from that end. And when you have mentors who can really help you with introductions and, you know, value-added services um, that, that provide that context that really helps you understand your customer, that helps you grow as a business, um, all of those things are really, really important. And, um, you know, that was certainly something that, that we got out of our experience, but something that I would encourage people to really think about because, you know, getting funding is not as simple as just knocking on the knocking on a ton of doors and asking people for money. It's being able to articulate what you're going to do and how you're going to do it um, within the framework of your customers. So you have to understand them first and foremost. So, Chris, you're not the uh, run-of-the-mill startup CEO. You spent lots of time in the federal government and were integrally involved in the federal government's approach to uh, critical infrastructure and, and cybersecurity. Uh, can you talk about that experience and how it influenced your your path now as a as a startup CEO? It's it's a great question, and it's uh, it's you know I, I've been really fortunate in that I've I have gone on this sort of um, unusual pathway um, to be where I am, and and you know I think a lot of that's just because I've had people who are willing to to make bets on me. Um, I think. One of the things that I really learned working in the White House on some of these problems um, was how to, you know, analyze a landscape, one that's frankly fairly nascent without a lot of, um, you know, w without a lot of clear lanes in the road, um, try to understand um, the, the key levers or ability to influence that landscape and then think about ways to, you know, to pull those letter, levers or align incentives, if you will. And maybe that sounds abstract, but I actually have found that um, the job that I have now as, as founder of Manifold is actually pretty similar um, in that we're trying to, you know, deploy and bring this technology uh, out into a market that really doesn't have any clearly defined bounds, um, a technology that most people really don't understand uh, or know what it can really do. Um, and so we have to really think about um, how do you go out into that landscape? How do you align incentives um, to get people to work with you and to get people to recognize um, the, the value of this new technology? And um, I, I think that type of ill-defined problem was, was something that we, um, you know, we, we worked on at the, at the, in the early days of, of critical infrastructure protection. By early days, I mean, anyway, 2009, where this was really coming to the forefront of national policy issues. Um, and, you know, of course, we're still working through that as a nation and as a government. Um, but in those, you know, since that time, I think we've, we've developed frameworks, um, you know, and literally developed frameworks like the NIST framework um, to, to organize, um, create a general taxonomy, and start to, to work collectively to address that problem. Um, and ironically, in Manifold, um, we're going through the same thing in terms of understanding blockchain, educating people on what it can do, and creating organizing constructs for the way that you would apply it. And so I think, you know, anytime you're dealing with these complex technical issues and, and sort of new policy challenges, or in this case, market uh, challenges, creating those frameworks and, and analyzing and then using them to analyze and apply 
uh, by creating new solutions, um, you know, is, is, is sort of the key uh, and common thread. So let's fast forward a little bit here to uh, going from the critical infrastructure uh, process that the Obama administration went to to this year's State of the Union when these issues really became front and center and whether it was the, the Sony hack or just a culmination of a long growing trend, the State of the Union brought cybersecurity right up to the fore of the administration's agenda for the year and out of that came a call for more regional private sector-led information sharing organizations. Here is now the resulting effort of the California Technology Council and we obviously appreciate the way that you've been a driver in, in the thought process for this. Uh, the, the new California Cybersecurity Information Sharing Organization uh, is, is coming out now and, and can you tell us a little bit about what it's here to do and, and what it might mean to the private sector dialogue in California. Yeah, no, Matt, I mean, th I think this is just absolutely timely and a phenomenal um, endeavor. Um, I'm really excited about it. You know, this is, as you mentioned, something that um, at the highest levels of government people really believe in um, because, you know, this is a problem that's going to take collective action. And you all, you know, we hear the term thrown around all the time, public-private partnership. Uh, but what does that really mean? Um, well, this is where the rubber meets the road. Um, this initiative, uh, in my view, uh, is exactly that. Um, there hasn't been um, a flagship effort um, like this in California before. Um, this is, you know, it, just incredibly timely. It's a way to bring a lot of the innovators um, from Silicon Valley and a lot of the, the great cybersecurity companies in this area together um, with other businesses writ large to really share knowledge, share awareness, um, you know, bringing in the data from the government uh, as well to create that shared situational awareness. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think that is the key enabler to how we're going to address these 21st century uh, cyber problems. So. I think it's I think it's really exciting. Um, it's 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 cool to to sort of be here. I think at the dawn of this era because I think this this is going to be really big. Thanks for that, Chris. I I wonder if you could give us a a couple of the key ingredients to CalCISO that you think will make a a big difference to the industry participants. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it ultimately comes from the the people that you bring around the table, right? You know. Um, Technology doesn't solve big problems. People do. Um, you can, you know, you can bring technology to bear to help. But, um, you know, I think when you look at uh, the organizations that are involved and are coming to the table, that to me um, is is the most exciting part. And, you know, you you don't need um, to have, for example, you, you don't necessarily need to have the law enforcement in the room to get the benefit of that government information. Um, you get tremendous benefit from simply aggregating, you know, private sector insights. Um, you know, the, the, the sum, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, that's always true in cybersecurity. And so, um, you know, the, the administration's uh, efforts to, to make ISOs this key clearinghouse were all about um, creating that shared awareness um, and then doing things to limit the exposure and, um, uh, and so, you know, uh, um, issuing 
um, antitrust guidance from the Department of Justice to make clear that it's perfectly fine to uh, cooperate as businesses um, to combat cyber threats. Um, you know, the Department of Justice has made that very clear that there aren't any antitrust concerns. Uh, that was a big administration priority. And now similarly, we're seeing Congress uh, speaking on this topic as well about the importance of sharing information uh, and ensuring that um, there's no legal exposure. Indeed, um, there are legal protections uh, to be able to, uh, to not only collectively share that information, but then also be able to take actions uh, based on it. So I think uh, California CISO's uh, efforts in this regard uh, are going to be able to tap into that and be able to leverage some really, uh, really great companies uh, and partnerships uh, toward that end. Now, so Chris, one of the things that's really been interesting about this formative period when ISOs don't really have a a common template to work from and the conversations happening everywhere at the same time is that we've also looked at our sister tech councils around the country and just about all of them have one form or another of a cybersecurity dialogue running. The top issue that seems to come up everywhere is talent um, and the shortfall in available talent versus the number of open positions. Uh, do you think that there's anything that, that we could do uh, as Cal CISO to address this, and, and uh, what does that look like, you know, in the near term, do you think? Yeah, listen, that, this is my number one priority always, um, is, is finding and acquiring human talent. Um, and, you know, Matt, I know this is, is something that you've put a lot of thought into uh, and has been, a has been core to the Cal CISO Charter. Um, and, you know, it's, it's workforce, training, fellowships, um, all of that uh, are important. And, um, you know, again, having a, a collective where you're able to uh, spread those costs, we're able to tap into um, existing training efforts, and then, you know, even create new uh, workforce development efforts, um, all of those things matter. And especially when you can focus them in on um, cybersecurity, and make sure that they're tailored exactly to your needs, um, that's when you've got the, the real magic occurring. So um, I think that this is um, absolutely the right forum for it. And, uh, you know, I think uh, this is going to be a huge benefit for, uh, you know, your, uh, your constituent organizations uh, are, are going to be these talent acquisition and workforce development uh, uh, programs. Chris, do you see uh, non-traditional education partners playing a role here? And let me ask a question a little bit differently. The, the number of new hires that the industry needs doesn't match the number of software engineering graduates that will be produced in the United States. So if we stick to conventional four-year education, it's in the near term physically impossible to meet the need. Uh, we have to get creative here in some ways, don't we? Absolutely. You know, I think this is where um, this is where the nation writ large is going to have to adapt, right, and, and move from a, a manufacturing-based economy to a knowledge economy. And, you know, this is, again, sort of where the rubber meets the road um, in that we've got this, you know, very proximate threat that, you know, all of us, government and, you know, every company in, in the country are having to uh, adjust and respond to. And uh, this is a priority hiring area for everybody. And uh, unfortunately, we just don't have the bodies yet. But, um, you know, it's all of the above, right? It's, it's 
retraining uh, existing workers. And this is an exciting area. The great thing is um, the, the jobs in this area generally pay well. Um, it's interesting work. Uh, so it's an area where you've got a lot of um, existing employees are really interested in getting the training where they can um, be valuable in this regard. Uh, but then, you know, I, we, we see it now a lot. There are a lot of new community college programs um, that are helping people get into this entry level, uh, into entry level positions in this field, uh, as well as a lot of uh, four-year programs. So I think, you know, to your point, um, we are going to have to hack our current system and and get a lot more creative in order to respond to this threat and develop the, the talent we need. But um, that's why you've got to have smart people getting together around the table because a single company can't do it. Um, if you're going to really change the paradigm, you need a lot of different organizations working together to actually shift um, the way we develop talent writ large. Well, this has been a few minutes with Chris Finan, a co-founder and CEO of Manfold Technology. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Matt. My pleasure. Um, and uh, I look forward to, uh, to seeing how, uh, how this takes off. CalCISO kicks off programming in 2016 with a Get to Know CalCISO session on January 21st at Symantec. For more information, check out californiatechnology.org. For sound on this episode, CTC is grateful to Scott Fowler and Scott Horwath for the two songs that you've heard here. This has been Inside the Founder Studio with the California Technology Council. We look forward to visiting with you again next time. Inside the Founder Studio is produced in Northern California by the California Technology Council.